Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the winter of 2018, four Delta Green agents are called upon to look into the disappearance of a police officer in a northern Minnesota housing project. Join Paul, played by Chris, Kendra, played by Becca, Mick, played by Joreen, and Dougie, played by Joaquin, in Project Echo, a scenario for Delta Green. If you would like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM and on Facebook and Discord at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to... Project Echo. This is going to be a Delta Green session. We have some returning agents as well as some new faces here for this scenario. Chris will be playing Paul Sherman, first featured in another one of our Delta Greens, Operation Big Stick. Jareen will be playing Michaela Ruminoff, featured in Third Man Factor, a different Delta Green that we run. But I'm lucky today to also have Joaquin here, who will be playing Dougie Ferguson, criminal in the conspiracy of Delta Green, as well as Kendra Bishop, played by Becca here, who is a FBI forensic specialist. Paul, you arrived in the hotel room before the others. It was kind of a far trek for you to make it here from Pennsylvania, where you live, and you didn't really have any information as to why you were coming here or what you were going to be doing. You were driven by almost a a lack of purpose and a lack of direction. You were driven by a desire to want to find more and do more. Michaela would probably be the second to arrive at this hotel room, also having traveled a greater distance to get there from California. And then shortly after, Dougie, you arrive, you see these two faces that you've never seen before. And Kendra, you arrive and you see these three faces that you've never seen before. And Paul, you do as you were instructed to do in your briefing with coach. And you find the cell phone that was waiting in the drawer. You open it up and you dial the only contact in there. And that's where you receive your briefing. You aren't aware of who it is that calls you and asks you with this, but with very little explanation with very little emphasis, they explained to you that the four of you have been assembled here as a joint task force to try to find the location of a, of a missing friendly, a Minneapolis police officer by the name of Roger Johnson. He was said to have disappeared in the northernmost building of the Echo Projects housing unit. They go on to explain that he was a northern Minnesota police officer Until 2011, when a chain of poor decisions led him down a downward spiral, and he kind of lost all credibility in his precinct, he had responded to a call in the summer of 2010. Two youths were murdered in the North Building, and the deaths caused a string of other crimes and rioting in the community, as well as a handful of weird reports that both gained the program's attention and would lead to something that... Johnson ultimately never stopped pursuing. Seven years later, Johnson's daughter, Tamara, 
filed an official missing persons report with the precinct, and no clues ever surfaced to his whereabouts until last month, June of this year. A cassette tape from a personal recorder surfaced at the precinct that he used to work at, and it somehow reached the program's attention. And now, fearing that it might be too little too late, they've asked you to go into this building and try to find out what you can about Johnson, try to figure out what happened to him, what he might have found, where he might have went, and most importantly, cover it up so that information of the unnatural never reaches the public. Paul, you see in this drawer that you grab the cell phone, a small personal recorder, and it's kind of like the type that you would use to record an interview, the type that you would maybe bring to a college class and record a lecture or something like that so that you could listen to it later. And you see it. It's just like a brand new one still inside of the plastic packaging. And next to it lays a small black cassette case single cassette, one of the mini cassettes designed for this recorder. And you see over that is a black piece of duct tape. And scrawled into that duct tape, very finely, you see this image of a creature with a goat's horns, human torso, and goat-like legs. And you just see it's very carefully carved into the adhesive black part of this duct tape. It looks somewhat crude, but at the same time, the intent is very clear, what it's trying to represent. It looks like a satyr of some sort. And shortly after just explaining this, the voice on the end of the phone tells you to listen to the tape. I hang up the phone, and I grab the tape player, and I put the tape in the tape player. Before I hit play, I take out my back jean pockets, a can of Copenhagen, and I kind of like thump it. A couple times, I take a pinch out and put it in my lip, and I put it back in the back of my jean pockets and adjust my Phillies hat I have on, and I just kind of take a deep breath and spit some into this plastic cup that's in the hotel rooms, and I hit play on the tape player. As you hang up the phone and you're kind of fiddling with this brand new tape player, taking it out of its package, getting it set up, you're looking around you in this motel room that you all stand in. And it's this very seedy part of the city. For you, Paul, and for you, Michaela, you probably have never seen this city before. Surely the places where you guys reside have areas like this, but you do feel this unease, this almost sense of danger as you take in your surroundings in this motel room. And it's very dirty. It's very unclean. And you can hear arguments happening in the next room. You can hear all kinds of sounds of the city outside and you you finally get the tape free you pop it into the recorder and you hit play and it's silent for a little while and then this is what you hear you hear some shuffling you hear some scratching it kind of sounds like somebody is recording this inside of a a motor vehicle this is roger johnson the date is june 27th 2018 I am recording this message now from the parking lot of the North Building. If this is the last thing I ever do, I want it to be known that I died trying to fix something. And you hear like keys jingling, the car powering off, and you hear these crickets in the background, and you kind of hear footsteps and a door slam, and he begins talking again. I suspect, I have suspected 
that there is a cult operating from the north building of the Echo Projects, and they have performed activities here for countless number of years, possibly generations. And tonight I'm, and it just cuts, and it's just silent for about three minutes. And you're right about to hit stop on the tape, but it starts to kick in again, like a separate recording. And you hear these sounds of sexual moaning. You hear like there's just a large amount of people present and you just hear these voices of exaltation and and moaning. And you start to hear these kind of beastly groans mixed in, these guttural sounds. As you listen deeper, you hear a voice screaming. It sounds like the man that was talking before. You have no way to be entirely sure, but you just hear this screaming. It's somebody screaming for their life and and they know that they're not going to survive. You hear no hope in that terrible, agonizing sound. And then the tape cuts out again. Paul hits the stop button. And if anyone's like paying attention, they see that his hands are probably shaking a little bit. And he slowly walks over to like one of the two beds that are in the room and he pulls up this duffel traveling bag that he has with him and he puts it on the bed and he unzips it. And if anyone looks, they'll probably see a butt stock of like an AR that's in there because he also has a M1911 and a holster on his belt. But he pushes that aside and he takes out like a little bottle of little pills and he just kind of like pops it open and he takes one, pops it in his mouth and he like dry swallows it puts it back in the pill, then adjusts his Copenhagen back in his lip. Then he turns around and he looks at these three. What does he see when he sees these three? By the way, Paul has a Caucasian guy with like blue eyes, clean shaven. Looks like he has maybe darker hair coming out from underneath his Phillies hat. Has like jeans and a plaid shirt. Looks like some boots underneath, like utility boots. Yeah, this is a good opportunity for us to describe what our characters look like. So we have kind of an image of what Paul looks like. Michaela, what is your appearance and your demeanor right now? She doesn't really stand out at all. Her hair is brown. Her eyes are brown. Her skin is a bit paler. If you were to place her anywhere, she might be from Russian descent. She's dressed in what seems to be mostly comfortable clothing. A simple pair of pants, a simple black shirt, that's all. She did come with a bag of her own. I know there is a weapon in there, among other things, but she hasn't pulled it out yet. She's not going to flaunt it around. Kendra is a short, maybe 5'4", Caucasian female, with long, maybe shoulder-length hair a little bit longer than that. That's kind of like a sandy brown color. And she's she has it pulled back tightly. It looks very neat. She's wearing more professional clothing. So slacks, a nice blouse, and she's a little bit stocky, but it's not super obvious in the way that she dresses. Very nondescript professional, but professional in how she dresses and how she presents herself. All right. And then there's Dougie. He's a Caucasian man. He's got short brown hair, brown eyes. But you see he's like the others, somewhat dressed more professional. And then there's him with like a plaid long sleeve shirt on, rolled up sleeves, there's a hint of a tattoo on, on his arms, worn old uh, you know, denim jeans, pair of boots. He feels a little bit underdressed, but he's kind of used to that, just being the poorly dressed person in the room. 
And so with him, after like hearing all that, he just pops a cigarette into his mouth, lights it, trying to keep it focused on the uh, cigarette, not on the uh, screams that he heard. Is there anything in the Manila folders? When you open the folders, you see there's a couple clippings from some police reports. Two of them are their newspaper clippings about the deaths of Jerome and Michael, two youths that lived in the northern building, found mutilated, tucked under the stairs in 2010. This seems to be where Roger's downward spiral began. You get a copy of his police report where he details following up on a disturbance call to the building. And what he was actually following up to was the precinct received several calls. Several eyewitnesses claimed to have watched a man fall from the top of the northmost building, hit the ground, stand up, and walk away. It would have been written off, but there was at least four calls about this specific thing. He had to look into it. And when he went down there, he basically saw a riot happening, something way worse than this weird rumor he was following up on was happening. There was these children, essentially, that were savagely murdered and thrown underneath the staircase of one of the buildings. The community began to riot. In their outrage, they began to break windows of surrounding buildings and vent their frustration on anything that was around them. Roger found himself getting wrapped up in this case. And it's still considered a cold case. Nobody's sure who murdered the two boys. Roger was determined to find out. And it led him to engage himself more with the residents of this building. This building, there's a lot of crime and drug activity that happens there. And the records that you guys have will will show like all kinds of drug arrests, all kinds of ongoing DEA investigations of drug operations that are that are happening here. It's never enough that they can catch who's at the top. So they're always holding back. They could make a bust, but it wouldn't do much. They'd, they'd have to let everybody out and the thing would still be happening. It's kind of a dangerous place for a cop to hang around in. And the locals there are not friendly to police. They don't cooperate with police regularly. So what Roger tried to do was try to strengthen his relationship with some of the locals and to try to build positive bonds with the people that live there. One of the things that you find out is that there's a lot of calls to the police from this place. There's a lot of crime that happens here. There's a lot of domestic violence that happens here. A lot of gang activity, burglaries, thefts. But one thing that stuck out to Roger and is something that he heard when he talked to people in this community, a lot of them did feel that something strange was going on in the building besides just the horrible crime and violence that they encounter on a daily basis. People would call the police department after midnight and they would report this horrible smell in the building. The precinct was always receiving dozens and dozens of calls, and most of them ignored because police did not like to go into this area. But people would just report horrible rotten meat smell, like something was dead. A lot of people thought maybe a neighbor had died or a vagrant might have expired in one of the 
forgotten places of this building, police would look into it occasionally and never find anything. But the reports would never stop. Countless people calling in about a smell of death and rotting meat worse than anything the people reporting it had experienced previously. They would call just outrage, trying to get anybody to listen to them, trying to get anybody to take care of these problems. And Roger tried to be the person that that would help this community, he tried to be a bridge between the police and the residents of the Echo housing projects. His ideas, his weird theories got him kicked off the force. He wanted to look into things that had nothing to do with the bigger agenda, had nothing to do with the important cases that were trying to be solved by the Minneapolis Police Department. Eventually, he lost all of his credibility. He kind of went off the deep end and started doing stuff solo before he fell off the grid completely. Nobody really noticed he was gone until his daughter filed the official missing persons report. She seems to be the only person left that's worried about him. There's not very many files in this folder. You kind of just go through, and based on the documents there, that's kind of what you pick up about Roger and his story. So Paul, looking through the documents, and he puts them down, and then he looks at each one of you, and he's like, all right, I know we haven't met before. We all have a job to do here, but for us to do this job, we got to know what each other is capable of. So I will start introductions. You can call me Paul. I've been familiar with things like this for a short while. Before that in my life, I have some experience in the military and a particular skill set. What about you? And he motions towards Michaela. Me? Oh, well, my name is Michaela. You can call me Mick. I've been with all of this for about a year now. I think, yeah, time does weird things. I am still part of the FBI. Lady, we don't need to know personal details about each other. For your own good, listen, I don't want to make it to where if anything happens to me, I bring any harm upon you or anyone that you love. The less I know about you is the less I can give up about you. All I'm simply asking is what would you say your skill set is? Well, you weren't going to get much more out of me anyway, but that is also my skill set. Good. You? Any motions towards Dougie? Okay, so kill man, CIA, whatever the hell you are. Got it. FBI. You points to uh, Kendra. Not sure. Let's say whatever. Me, I've been, I used to steal things, and, but lately, I've been helping people catch other people, well, talking about people who I know used to steal things, sell things, shoot things, all kinds of stuff. Good. Those are some helpful skills. You, he looks at Kendra. Well, I'm Kendra, and I deal with um, forensic science. Good. All right, he opens the manila folder and he like lays his stuff out. Are any of you from this area? I'm not from that area, but I know people from that area. But you're from the city here, right? You're from the Twin Cities, both of you? Yeah. All right, so you're familiar where these projects are located at? I mean, I know enough to not drive around them, if, unless you want to get your car stolen, but yeah. All right, and how many buildings are there in these projects? Four, maybe. All right, good. Here's our two options here, I would assume. He looks at Michaela and he looks at Dougie for a second and he looks back at Michaela. We need to see if there's an in. 
we may get more information from his daughter here. I don't know how much useful information we can get that we haven't found already in this tape and in this file that he has. Or we can maybe find that there's a point of contact that he had in these projects. It looks like he was working on building a repertoire with these people here. So I know your type, and he looks at Michaela, are pretty good at interviewing people. And I assume you, and I look at Dougie, are a people person yourself. That's one way we can do it. Second thing is here we have on our side right now is that it's winter. And when it's winter out, there's less people outside, which makes it easier for us to go about these buildings. If it was summertime, I wouldn't feel too comfortable going about it. So I would say that this is our two paths we can go down right now before we even try to make any kind of ingress into the building. One is we need to find a point of contact who maybe can get us in there discreetly. Two, and I look at Kendra, you and I will probably need to go and scope the area out from a distance, see if we notice anything odd, see if we see anything that's going around in the area. And then we can meet up together once you guys find out a point of contact and you and I go see if we see anything doing some recon there. Right. So I'm going to try to pretend you actually spoke like a human being and not some kind of secret agent guy. So you're saying we got to find someone to talk to in the building and just shoot the shit with them so we won't get shot down when we try to go inside. You see, he smiles when you say the secret agent thing, like a genuine smile. He likes your wit and he just kind of smiles and he shakes his head. He's like, sorry, I wasn't. No, I wasn't no secret agent, man. No. Okay, listen. I don't want you to go into the building and listen, this is a group thing. This is a team thing. So you guys have an opinion, obviously, too. What I'm saying is we need to see if in this file or if his daughter knows anyone that we can contact in there before we even try to go into the building. Give us a little bit more information. Get us in there to where I don't need to put my neck on the line and try to go in there without being seen or bring you four with. Got it. Because just letting you know, if you go anywhere near that building with that attitude, they're going to... Shut oh, up immediately. So, yes. Dougie and Kendra, both of you guys gave me a criminology role as kind of residents to this state. You would know uh, a bit more about it. Dougie, you being a criminal, and Kendra, you being in law enforcement, you might know a bit about it. I got a nine out of 70. 70 out of 80. Yeah. So, both of you guys know it's a very dangerous place. You know that people get killed there all the time. Dougie. Trust me, I know my way around cities that want to do me harm, where most of the residents want to do me harm. I appreciate your concern, though. But me and Kendra here, we'll go take a look from a distance. Don't worry, we're not going to be driving close, but we're going to go see if we can find any kind of recon out. Here's my number, and I go ahead and I take the holiday and notepad, and I write down my burner cell number on here. Another question, and are you guys armed? Paul, you would know this. The only thing that's been provided for you guys is this black van. It's basically empty in the back. It's kind of like a stakeout van. And there's a few different things in there. There's some laptops. There's some maybe like recording devices and listening devices to set up a bug of some kind. And I'll let you guys fill in what else is in the van. And if it's something that's kind of nuts, we'll have to do a bureaucracy role. But for stuff that you guys want to be in the van... Just pitch it to me, and we'll say that your van will be like equipped with that if it's within reason. Because they don't give you just nothing here. They want you to find Roger. They want you to find Johnson. Yeah. So, what would you guys have in your stake? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna interject a little bit. Do we have nods, night vision goggles? We could have right. one pair. One pair. One pair. Unless you want to make a bureaucracy roll to get an extra pair and I'll say we'll get three bureaucracy rolls and whoever has the highest can try to make that roll to get that item. 
Kendra has 60. So we want more night vision goggles? Yes. Is there anything else that we want? Yes. I figure we can list yeah. what we would like and then oh, just make nice. a couple rolls all at once. Flashbangs. Yeah, so if you know what flashbangs are, throw in and it temporary blinds and deafens people. So flashbangs, definitely. Pistols with flashlights. I don't want us to have ARs like running through the hood. I have my AR in my bag that I'm going to leave in the van in case like shit really goes downhill and I got to get out of there. Yeah, I would like flashlights, flashbangs, and wireless access point for these folks to do research. I would really like to add to this list a wireless communication setup where we just have stuff in our ears. I want us to have bulletproof vest, of course, if we're going in for real. You guys have two. If you want to get two more, you have to make a Yes, report. add that to the list, ma'am, Miss Kendra, for your almighty bureaucracy list. Dougie's like, sawn off shock something with getting something bigger to just certain people with. I would say keep in the van. My thing is I don't want to walk around heavily armed and put people up. I wouldn't mind it in the van in case we got to get the fuck out of there and like, yeah, we yeah, don't yeah, yeah, throw yeah, lead. Yeah. Yeah. Something bigger, just in case something we need the heavy stuff. Med kit and some uh, spare cash in case we have to buy people off. Okay. The cash will have to be a roll. The med kit, if it's like a first aid box, you guys have it. No problem. And here's my thing. I got a question to ask you, handler. In this van, can we have it set up then to where like if Dougie and Michaela need to be in the back working on contacting people we don't hear them. So when Kendra and I are in front watching shit, we won't be distracted or anything like that. Can we have it like soundproof in the back there? There's no divider in this van. It's oh, like okay. a very hollowed out. Okay. So is it roll per item, roll per group of items? Roll per individual three. item. Okay. I have one more thing to add to the list. I know Paul and Michaela will probably have burner phones, but I don't know whether Ducky and Kendra do. You guys can have burner phones for sure. People who are in law enforcement, you guys would have your service firearms. Don't have to call that out. But you guys can make three bureaucracy rolls for the extra stuff if you guys want that to be part of the stakeout van. You can make a roll for three of the things. If you pass the roll, you get the thing. If you fail the roll, you don't have the thing. And it's just three total rolls. Okay, so what are the three items that we're going to get? So two extra flex would be great. And the flashbangs might be useful, but that's the only two where Adam said, well, only if you roll for it. Okay. So because the flak vests are two separate items, technically, would that be all three rolls, Adam? Unless we also want heavier weaponry, because I bet that we need to roll for that, because that stuff is not 100% legal. Paul probably has his whatever arsenal of crazy guns from being a... Wacky military. I'm not. Dude. Whoa, 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 whoa! I'm not a wacky military dude. I have my AR. That's it. Michaela and Kendra, you guys definitely have your service firearms. Dougie, it would probably be within reason for you to have an illegal firearm, but I'll let that up to you to decide. If you guys wanted extra shit, you'd have to make a roll for that. You can do one roll for the two flak vests because that's like a smaller item. One success would get you the two vests. One success for the night vision goggles will get you one extra pair of night vision goggles. And I forget, what's the other thing you guys wanted to roll for? Black vest, flashbangs, night vision goggles. In that exact order, this is what I'm going to roll. This is Kendra calling in the big guns from her department, seeing what they can spare her on the on the hush-hush. You know, we're sort of looked through the stuff, figure, hey, she's on the phone, discreetly making some phone calls away from the rest of the group and she's able to get all three of the things that we were looking for. 
So I'm going to close the van door once we have all our shit in the van. This We'll fast forward and close it. Look at Michaela and Dougie and be like, all right, so do you two want to go work on your own and find a point of contact in there? If it's talking to his daughter, see if she knows or looking through these files. Or do you want to work in the back of the van while Kendra and I go scout this place out? I don't know if you're going to want to go in person and talk to people or not. This is your specialty. This is your forte. Well, I think, and she looks over at Dougie. I think we can deal with this. I think it would be good if we contact the daughter at some point. So I think that would be a good point to start out. I drove for a bit to get here and I would I could really use not driving for a bit. Dougie, do you have a car? Yeah, I got a old pickup. Dougie, that's a shame, man. If you join the agency, dude, you'd at least get a fucking Cadillac, man. Dougie <laughs> like looks at you, looks at the van, looks back at you. I gotta admit, I'm tempted just for all the uh toys you got in the van, but Oh, I'm not part of the agency and this isn't my shit. This is the first time I've seen this van. Anyways, you got my number, call us. See what information you can get. I'll let you know what we find, all right? Keep in touch. Let's say we'll do a check-in in an hour, okay? Sounds right. good. All right. I thought my probation officer was picky about keeping up schedules. Roll my eyes. I turn around. I look at Kendra. I go, and I open up the driver's seat. And I start the van up. Oh, Paul, here yeah. is my cell phone number. Oh. And she hands you the number back from her burner. All right. Thank you. Stay safe, all right, guys? Right. We'll try. Yep. Another day in paradise, I'll look at Kendra. All right, you're going to have to tell me how to get to this place, or at least around the area. And Kendra will start to point off into the direction. Uh, what time of day is it? Eight o'clock at night right now. Uh, and Kendra, you know that you're about a 10-minute drive from the apartments. So what's your story? And you notice he takes out of his breast shirt pocket, takes his bottle, like, and he puts it like in the cup holder, and he puts like his Copenhagen in the cup holder, and he puts a cell phone in there. Kendra, do you have any pharmacy? Yeah, she does. You know what those pills are. Paul, what are the pills? The Xanax. And he took one when his hands were all shaking after he heard the fucking screaming and everything on there. Xanax is like basically a drug that calms people who have anxiety down, but only temporarily. What's my story? Didn't you just bitch out Michaela for trying to uh, share information? Kendra is saying this like with a big smile. No, no, I don't mean I don't need to know your details. I don't need to know your husband or your lover's name or if you have kids or anything like that. I mean, what's your story? What got you into this shit? Without too many details, I've been doing this. I've seen things on and off with my line of work. It seems pretty natural. This is really my first time out in the field. I'm more of a back in the office forensic scientist. Is that what they call this out in the field? I mean, we're out in the field. I usually work in a building. I'm an HR manager. An HR manager. Yeah, I'm not bullshitting you. I've got pulled into this shit. And I don't know how the fuck I'm still in this shit. What's your in? You're in. I, I mean, found that out. You can't unsee what you see. You see, I just tap the bottle, smile, and I keep driving, looking forward. So have you heard of this place before? The Echo Projects? Yeah. Yeah, I live around here. So are you scared about going in this building? Hell yeah, I'm scared about going in this building. I mean, you're clearly not from this area, but they just don't want outsiders there. I get that. What I'm asking you is, if you're scared, you know it's dangerous, are you at peace about what may happen? And that's like the first time that it really, really occurs to Kendra that she's been looking at Echo Projects in her mind. It's a place where people live. Whereas right now with that extra prompting in her brain, she's like, oh, right. There's something more going on here. And this is a place where you probably 
wouldn't go even if there wasn't the threat of something unnatural. This is a place where you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. People are immediately going to look at you when you get there. You feel this animosity. Paul, you probably feel it too as you get closer to the neighborhood. You start to see people walking along the side of the streets. They look like probably lower income people. You see some people that are pushing shopping carts full of just belongings and cans and you drive by what looks like an argument or a scuffle. You're starting to realize you're you're going to be the only white faces there, probably. Yeah, well, I'm prepared for that. I try to pull into a parking lot of a business that's closed, kind of in the shadows, but where I can have a view of the projects, especially the North building. I'm going to turn off the engine and I'm going to look at her and I'm going to be like, listen, I didn't mean to be brash back when asking you that. You might be spiraling, but you need to understand that once you realize you're in that predicament, you're going to look out this window here and you're really going to look because you know you're putting your ass on the line and you're putting your teammates on the line, all right? We know there's a risk. I'm aware of the fact that I might not make it out of here. So for this time that we're here and we're looking out this window and we're trying to get details, we're doing that with the intent that we want to get our ass out of there if it needs to happen, okay? Absolutely. Good. And I take the Copenhagen candle. I'm like, do you want to pinch? And I just got to smile. She gives you a scrunched up nose and slightly shakes her head. That's not my poison. Right now, you're in this parking lot of a small hardware store. And it's not like a Home Depot or a Lowe's or anything like that. It's like a a mom and pop style hardware store. It's only about 830 right now, but it's closed. You see that the building's lights are off completely. There's a few other businesses in this lot, liquor store, convenience store that appears to be open. And you see like a few people come inside and out. There's one single street light that kind of shines down onto this empty lot. There's a few empty cars there, people that might've just parked there, but it's basically an empty lot. And there's not a lot of street lights there. There's just this one light that's shining down and you don't park under the light. You probably would be keen to park somewhere else. But you can see these towers looming over in the distance. And you see this orange brick on the outside that kind of goes up very, very high. And it's somewhat uncommon to see these types of apartment buildings. There's luxury apartments where they stack people's apartments very high up. But it's just so different in this light. It's just so different to just think that that's not the lifestyle that the inhabitants here live. When you're up at the top, there's probably no safety. You're trapped in these like very many floors of danger. That's what you're starting to establish when you look at these buildings. You see the top floor, that roof of that building, that last window of a person's apartment, and you think you get this feeling of helplessness as you imagine being stuck, an unwanted person here. And just not being able to find your way back to the bottom, it gives you this pang of anxiety. You just kind of see these towers from where you sit in this parking lot. The cold air is kind of creeping into the car now that it's powered off and the heat isn't on anymore. You rub your hands together for some kind of feeling of warmth. You just look out and you see it's, it's almost like there's no stars in the sky, even though it's very dark out. Like how in the winter it gets dark a lot earlier. Right now, it's just as dark as you think it will be. You hear like the sounds of cars passing. You hear the sounds of people walking. 
you're just kind of left with that as you look out into these buildings. Even though it's winter, there's still this bustle of activity going on. There's so many people in motion. There's so many parts to this ecosystem. And you can only see like a glimpse of it from where you are this far back. And it looks like ants moving in an ant colony. And you feel small as you look at it. God damn, I hope they find someone who can get us in and I'm not forced to sneak into that mess. Are there areas of darkness there or is it well lit? Around the buildings, you see that there's these outdoor lights, but they're kind of few and far between. And where you see the outdoor lights, you'll see maybe two or three people hanging outside. They'll occasionally go back inside. And then maybe you'll see a group of four or five kind of standing under a light. And it's almost like the lights attract people, but there's a lot of dark areas. You see that there's this big courtyard in between the three buildings that is like a middle ground for all of these apartments. And you see people kind of loitering out in this courtyard underneath a bigger street light, and it's kind of shining down. The people that are out there look cold. They're conversing back and forth. You can see where typically people might be playing basketball out in this area. There's, there's a few hoops set up. There's a regulation-sized court, but one of the hoops is completely broken. There's only a hoop on one side. People are just kind of walking around, going about their daily lives here. How hard do you think it would be to get the power grid to shut down temporarily at these buildings? I'm looking at Kendra while I say that. Kendra gets a bit of a bewildered look on her face. We're just brainstorming here. I mean, you're not wrong to brainstorm. I have no idea how to do that. I don't either. I'm just wondering. Well, let's keep watching. Hopefully, those other two can get us some information. If not, we're going to have to get creative. And I sit back and spit my cup. Kendra, you feel this cold creeping in from the van. And you see Paul kind of rest back in his seat. And you're looking out into these apartment towers. You're vaguely familiar with them. You've driven past them before. You know they exist. You know that a lot of crime happens here, but you've never really watched them like this before. You've never really just sat and looked at the happenings, at the people in and out, and just realized how many people have to live here because of their situation. That just kind of sits with you for a little bit. And it's definitely this really weird sensation because as that's kind of occurring to her. I'm assuming the van's turned off. We don't really have the heat going on at the moment. And it's just that coldness is seeping in physically and mentally. And like her hands are starting to get cold. So she's rubbing them. And it's a really weird thought process for Kendra as she's watching these people. If you enjoyed this game of Delta Green, make sure to check out our other Delta Green one shots. We have several listed now and more to come soon.